2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is holy. It is righteous and true. And as the Apostle Paul has said, it is useful in many ways. It is useful for doctrine, for correction, for reproof and instruction to equip us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would illuminate this truth to us. I can't do it. I can study all day long and I can prepare all day long. But there is nothing that I can say in my own power, Lord, that can produce the miracle of faith in the hearts of men and women. That is wholly up to you. So, Father, we invite you now, your Holy Spirit, to do in us what you do. We lean on you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, over the past few weeks, the past two weeks, we've been discussing the Bible as the breath of God. Here in this passage in Timothy, King James Version says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Other modern translations says all Scripture is breathed by God. It is His spoken word to men of old. It is His word to all of humanity written with His divine authorship in concert with holy men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to put pen to paper and in so doing record for all time God's revelation to man about himself. That book, that precious Bible, is no less than the portrait of our Creator God and King, our ruler, our Lord and Master, our Savior. Over the last two weeks, we've examined several reasons why we can trust in the infallibility of the Scriptures. That's the accuracy and truthfulness of the Scriptures, the the trustworthiness, if you will, of the Scriptures. We can reasonably and rationally conclude through just, just through reason and rational thought that the Bible passes the test. It passes the logic test, we talked about that. It passes the history test. It passes the prophetic test. It passes the scientific test. The Bible passes. The Bible can be treated as true and trustworthy, not just some made-up folklore, not just some fantastic far-out stuff. And even, what's cool is even the fantastic and far-out things in the Bible can be trusted. You know, there really was a Garden of Eden. It was a real place. The great flood actually happened. The Tower of Babel was a real thing. The parting of the Red Sea actually happened. Goliath was a real giant and David was a real king. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and the others, they were all real prophets. Mary was a real virgin. And Jesus was really the Son of God. He was really crucified on a cross, and He very really, very actually raised Himself from the dead on the third day. He is alive today. He is actually seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is really coming again to judge the living and the dead for real. 
And all of that is what the Apostle Paul is telling us in 2 Timothy 3.16 when he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is useful. You can trust the Scriptures to do what they were given to do. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. The Bible tells us what to believe, how to behave, and how to please God. But all of those things can be humanly, carnally discerned. Did you know that? There is no work of grace that is required for you to be able to see that the Bible is a book that is filled with instructions. That is filled with corrections and is filled with laws and, and that it has thoughts and stories about, about a God and, and how we ought to live before this God. It does not take any work of grace to be able to see that or discern that from the text. Just like any other literary work, the contents are humanly discerned. There is no special work of God that is needed to verify the Bible's historical reliability. You just need history. You just need evidence. There's no special work that is needed to verify the Bible's logical consistency. You just need a sharp mind. If you take the historical accuracy of the Bible, if you've verified it as historically accurate through studying history, then a reasonable person could conclude that where the Bible touches science, it is scientifically accurate. And where it, we test it prophetically to see that did, did, did it prophesy things that actually happened, we just need to look again back at history. Again, no work of grace is needed for this. If you read it from cover to cover, analyze the arguments and themes brought up in the Scriptures, you can conclude that the Bible is consistent with its story. The Holy Spirit is not needed in order to test the Bible's logical consistency. All you need is a sharp mind. So while I believe that everything I told you over the last few weeks is true and accurate and useful and beneficial, it's good information to have in your arsenal, and hopefully it is strengthening for your faith, it is not necessarily spiritually discerned. But look at verse 17 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible is given, Paul says, it is given to us by God It is useful for all those things, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, that, that's 17, that so that, in order that, to the end that, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This, This person, this man of God or woman of God, the one who is made perfect, this is the one... When he says is made perfect, he's talking about, in this case, he's fully complete. He's not lacking anything. That's what he means by perfect. This man of God, this is the man who has submitted himself to the things that he has read in this book. He has seen the doctrine and said in his own heart, this is what I will believe. He has seen the reproof and the correction that is written in the text And he has said in his heart, this is how I will behave. He has seen the instruction in righteousness and has said in his heart, I will live to please God. He is 
a man of God. Now that, church, does not happen without the Holy Spirit working within you. That is a change that knowledge itself cannot bring. That change only comes by faith and faith by hearing the Word of God. This is where God, the same God that is talked about in these scriptures, this is where He Himself reaches off of the pages of the book to touch a dead and callous stone-cold heart and make it beat with new life. This man who has surrendered his life to what is in this Bible, he is fully equipped for all good works. So why trust this book? Because without it, you are not equipped. Go back to the first principle that we talked about two weeks ago. Why trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? The Bible claims no less than 1,500 times that it is, in fact, the Word of God. The uncreated being, the same God that is revealed to be God in the pages of His Holy Word. This God, our God, spoke and it was. This God, our God, that is revealed in this Bible, brought all things into being. This God, that is the God of this sacred text, our God, He set the moon in its orbit. The God that is in this book, our God, the mountains are His footstools. He raised the mountains and He filled the oceans. This God, our God, did it all for the glory of His own name and by the power of His own word. This is a God like none other. He sits high and righteous on his lofty throne, yet he is closer than a brother. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But his vengeance is severe. His judgments are sure. His law is delight and his word is forever. God has spoken on all manner of things. His word is ultimately wise and it is ultimately true. It is ultimately sufficient to equip you again for all good works. He has spoken on faith and salvation and forgiveness and restoration on work on study, on recreation. He's spoken on relationships and sacrifice and service and finances and government and taxes. Conflict management, he's spoken about that. Anger management, parenting, dating, eating, health and wellness. God's talked about it. On and on and on. God has spoken and His Word is true. His Word is true. If we take the Bible as true and trustworthy, then the truth ought to be treasured. The problem is that what we treasure isn't always truth. Oh, how true is that? (laughs) What we treasure isn't always truth. In this country, pretty much all of modern industrialized world, our values are driven by self. You do you. How many times have you heard that? You do you. You do what's best for you. 
You follow your own truth. You work to gain and spend and have. You satisfy the desires of your heart. You do you. But Jesus says, you know what? It's not about you, buddy. It's about me. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Give of yourself, give of your substance, give of your time and your talent. That's the opposite of cultural wisdom today. That is the opposite of what the world would have us to believe and to pursue. But God said that this is true, though every man else be a liar. When we treasure those things, the, the, you know, the, giving, the getting and the getting and the getting, and we treasure, I'm going to do me and I, whatever my heart wants, that's the truth I'm going to follow. I don't care what the Bible says, what I believe is what. When we treasure those things, we're setting ourselves up as God. We're not treasuring God's truth. And his word says that your ultimate joy, your ultimate satisfaction, your ultimate fulfillment comes from service and sacrifice, not you do you. That is the opposite of what the world thinks. But God's word is true. God's word is sufficient. That he has given us is true. It is sufficient and able to equip us, as Paul has said, unto all good works. You know, we don't need any additional revelations in order to know how to live righteously or how to please God. Amen. We have it in the scripture. Mm -hmm. Scripture alone stands as the authority against which all other truth has to be tested. We've got a lot of mystics out there talking, saying, thus saith the Lord, but it doesn't line up with what Scripture says. Amen. Scripture stands alone in its authority, but I have to caution you here, because I, I, I love that phrase, Scripture alone, Scripture alone, sola scriptura. That means I go to the Bible for my authority. I, this is the rock on which I stand right here. But it doesn't mean Scripture only. So hear me. There is truth and wisdom that is in the natural world. Even the Proverbs tell us to do things like consider the ant. Paul said that creation itself declares the glory of God so that no one has an excuse. Even without the scriptures, without a witness to testify, the heavens declare the glory of God. No one is, has an excuse to not see the fingerprints of God. It's everywhere you look. Everywhere you look, you can see God around you. Scripture alone means that the Bible stands alone in its authority, Amen. in its status as the Word of God. So be careful and cautious when people come to you and say things like, thus saith the Lord, or God told me to tell you, or I feel like the Lord wants you to do thus and so. I mean, I'm grateful for those words from the Lord, but always take those words from the Lord back to the Scripture. Because if it doesn't line up with what God has already said, then God did not say it. And you would do well to ignore it. Amen. No other work can claim the same authority that this scripture can claim. They must all fall under the submission to the Bible. Or they are to be rejected as false. Let me give you an example. It's a hot button issue in these, these days. But it's growing in numbers and in very prominent circles that the gender debate has been settled. Agenda-driven pseudoscientists have declared that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of genders 
Now, they have taken hostage of words. They've changed definitions in order to support their self-serving assertions that gender is fluid and not tied to biology. But God has spoken on the issue, has He not? Has He not said that He created them male and female? Any discussion about gender or gender roles must begin with that truth. It must come under submission to what God has already said. That's where we begin. The same goes for any discussion on marriage or divorce or sexuality or drunkenness or idolatry. A whole host of issues. Scripture alone is the final authority. Not culture. Not the shifting opinions of the times. And I'm going to tell you, just because you're on your knees in your bedroom or in your prayer closet and you get an unction or you get a feeling, that is not God talking to you if it does not line up with what the Scripture has said. You will not get a word from the Lord that contradicts what has already been spoken. Period. Period. Any discussion of those kinds of things needs to begin with the word of truth that is in the Bible. A man or a woman of God recognizes this. A person of God submits himself to the truth in the scriptures even when the world around us is screaming the opposite. Amen. Amen. That is why we're a peculiar generation. That is why Jesus said they're going to hate you because they don't get you. Amen. Scripture is true. God has spoken. His word is true. His word is sufficient. His word is necessary. It is absolutely necessary. And submission to it is necessary. It's... The, I'll get there. We don't get to be the arbiter of what is right and wrong. Amen. Contrary to what William Ernest Henley said, you all know that poem, Invictus, I am the master of my own soul, I am the captain of my own fate. We are not the masters of our own soul, and we are not the captains of our own fate. And any attempt that I make to be my own master, to be my own captain, is a direct contradiction to what God has told me to do in His Word. We must have a standard, a moral authority, because without it we cannot be equipped for good works. Every man will do what is right in his own eyes, without truth. Amen. Truth is not subjective. You don't have truth that is different than my truth. And away with those people who say that kind of mess. That is just hogwash. The truth is the truth, whether you like it or not. Whether you agree with it or not. It's not my truth, it's not your truth, it's the truth. And we have the truth in the scripture. The truth. There's stuff in this book that's not easy. And if I set myself up and say, I'm not going to accept that, but I'm going to take this, I'm going to determine what truth is, and I'm setting myself up as God in my own eyes, Amen. I've become my own idol. Amen. There are things that are uncomfortable and difficult to swallow in this book. Amen. Amen. What will you do? Will you, will you spit them out because they don't taste good? I'll take what makes me feel good, what tickles my ears, but the rest of it I'm going to leave to the side or just disregard altogether. If that's your approach to the Word of God, then you're not serving Him. Amen. You're serving you. You're not instructed in righteousness. You're not equipped for good works. Your God is your belly, and you have traded His glory for images, for shadows and types. Let me try to give you something a little less philosophical, a bit more practical if I could. We're talking about being equipped, thoroughly furnished to all good works. 
because of the Word of God. Maybe you can see this and you'll be able to see in your own life where where this, this is at play and why Scripture should be revered as holy and authoritative. So, every morning I get up early. It's just my routine. Saturday mornings, I a little bit of change my routine a little bit. I still get up early, but I like to get up and do my studies. And then instead of going to work, I like to gather my things and go to Paris Bakery and I get myself a coffee. And I usually I take my family with me, but they couldn't go with me yesterday. It was just me. They all were out places. So I get myself a coffee, coffee and some breakfast. I got myself ready to go. Got my iPad and, a, and I got my, my stuff that I need. I'm going to sit and read and enjoy some quiet time with my coffee and my Bible, and I'm going to work on the sermon, and it's just going to be good. This is my routine Saturday mornings. I've come, it's become the routine, and when you upset my apple cart, mess up my routine, you can ask my family, I do not, I do not do well. God's working on me in that area. So, I get into my car, it's early. They open at 8. You get there at 8.30, you're going to have to wait in line, and it may be crowded. And you may not get the, you know, the bakery item that you want. They could be out of blueberry muffins. This has happened to me more than once. They have fantastic blueberry muffins. So I do not want to get there late. I want to get there 8, 8.10 at the latest. I'm in my car driving down 19. It's cold. Y'all remember yesterday morning? It was cold yesterday morning. In the 30s, I think. It was cold. I had two jackets on. I told you, the older I get, the colder I get. One day, my wife and I, our temperatures will start to match, I think. One day. (laughs) Not yet, but one day. I'm driving down, never. (laughs) Driving down 19th Street. And I see a man walking, coming this way. I'm going that way. He's coming this way. And, uh, And he's dirty. Filthy. Looked like he hadn't shaved or showered in a month. And his clothes looked like he had been out rolling around in the dirt. Filthy. Now this is not an uncommon sight to see on 19th Street Northwest. So at first I thought nothing of it. People walk up and down this road all the time. There are houses all around. It is, it is good to walk. Amen? All right, we've gotten lazy with our cars. (laughs) It's good to walk, but not in the 30-degree weather, right? So it didn't didn't hit me at first. It just didn't hit me. I I didn't pay attention to it at first. But right as soon as I passed the guy, it hit me. Jeff, it's cold out there. It is cold out there. And you're on your way to buy a $6 coffee. So I had this battle. I had this battle. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. The prophet says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. I I will confess to you that I had a mental battle within myself when I passed that man and realized it was 30 degrees outside. I'm on my way to get coffee. 
this is my routine. If I'm late, I'm going to have to stand in line. And I may not get to sit in my spot. I have a, they don't know it's my spot, but it's my spot. I, this is going to upset my whole apple cart. This I had planned to go and spend time with God and coffee. I don't want to turn around. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go down the road, find a place to turn around, come back. I don't. I don't want to go through all that. So I had a battle. I'll be. I'll be honest with you. I had a battle. But to my credit. The battle only lasted a couple seconds. I mean, it seemed like forever, but it was only a couple seconds that I wrestled with that. Because it, that, that came to me. That came to me. You are full of bread and idleness. And you have not strengthened the hand of the poor and the needy. And you're going to get a $6 cup of coffee. And it's 30 degrees outside. So I turned around. On my way back. Now he was away. We were, I was a ways down the road. A few seconds at 40 miles an hour. That that put some distance between you. So I had to find a place, turn around, turn around, and come back. On my way back, I could see him. He ducked behind some trees. And by the time I got up to the trees to see where he had gone, he he was walking into a house. He was already where he was going to go. All right. So instantly, I had three different things happen to me. Three different emotions that I felt. Okay. At first, I felt relief. I'm just being honest. I, I was a, there was a tinge of, of relief. This wasn't going to be a pleasant experience for me. I'm not an overly outgoing people type person. I don't, I don't do strangers. I don't know how to talk to strangers. It was going to be a very uncomfortable ride in my car. I wasn't worried about him being dirty or anything. I have you know vinyl seats. It, it, it'll wash. It's okay. Not a big deal. Well, that wasn't the problem. I just was concerned about not being able to have a conversation with the man. I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a fear of mine. It's going to be uncomfortable. So I felt a, a little bit of relief. The second thing that I felt was disappointment. So in contrast and in conflict to that feeling of relief, I was disappointed. I, I had turned around. I, I had that battle I fought that fight against my flesh. I crucified the flesh. It is now time to take up my cross. And when I got to where I could do that, there was no cross to carry. I fought the battle. And I won. So I was a little disappointed. But the third thing that I felt, which was profoundly more present than the other two things, was an abundance of joy. And I mean it. I'm talking ear-to-ear grin. I could not contain myself. I finally got my car turned back around and back on the way to the coffee shop, just smiling ear-to-ear. I could not help but vocally out loud sing praises to God. Thank you, Lord, for the gift you gave me of obedience. Do you know obedience is a gift? It's not in your nature to want to do that kind of thing. It wasn't in my nature to want to do that kind of thing. He gave me the gift of obedience because he thoroughly equipped me unto all good works in his word. And I was so grateful. Lord, help me next time not to even have that second thought. I want the flesh dead. 
I don't want to battle that flesh anymore. Thank you for the gift I won. I passed. I passed. And by the grace of God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, I was thoroughly equipped to pass because I do wash myself daily in His Word. I'm not saying, look at me, look at what I can do. But I can tell you, mimic me in that. Wash yourself daily in His Word. Let me tell you, that wasn't that long ago that I wouldn't have given that man a second thought. That is the power of God's Word when it is applied to your life. So I will not tell you, church, that all of your stocks are going to go up. I will not tell you how blessed you will be in your health and in your finances. And I will not tell you that God wants you to have a bigger house and a nicer car. But what I will tell you is that in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures evermore. And you get into His presence through obedience to His Word. Let me bring this to a conclusion with this. We spoke about the Bible being accurate in the past with its prophecies. Okay? And that is because it is accurate with its prophecies in the past, those that we have seen come true. That, that is the basis for our confidence in the prophecies that have not yet come true. That they will in fact come true because the Bible has made prophecies that have come true. We can trust it as a prophetic source. Amen. Are we good on that? Amen. Good. Scripture does not ask us to extend blind faith on a hope and a wish. God has given us prophetic fulfillments all along the way to prove the validity and the sureness of His promises that have not yet come true. And oh, what promises they are for those who have found their righteousness in Christ, who have submitted themselves to His Word, who have accepted the doctrine, its reproof and its correction, who have been equipped by it, Thoroughly furnished to all good works. What promises we have. And they stand in stark contrast to the promises given to those who have rejected His holy word and the Christ that it shows us. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. Hear me church. And I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Do you know which books those were? The law? The prophets? And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Did they they hold that word as precious and authoritative? Did they bend their will to its authority? Verse 13, and he, the sea, gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up to the dead which were in them, delivered up to the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in this book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What a horrible end. Chapter 21, 
And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for they are true and they are faithful. He said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Chapter 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of it, the street of it, and on the other side, on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will be no more curse, but the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no more night there. They'll need no candle, neither light of the sun. The Lord has given them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you the things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. And the bride and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let them that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. What a contrast and what a promise to the man who is equipped, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What blessed hope awaits the man of God. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. Move upon us, Lord. Settle in our hearts that your scripture is true. Settle for us that it is authority. It is above my thoughts. It is above my ways. When it doesn't make sense, Lord, it is best to just trust you at your word. Settle it for us so that when we come to your word with with disagreement, we can bow our knee to your sovereignty.
When it asks us to do things that are uncomfortable, we can humbly submit to you in joyful obedience because your word has said it. Go with us, Lord, as we go from our separate places and go our separate ways and keep us safe. Bring us back safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.